everyone, welcome back. This week we have Alnardo on from the Child Mind Institute, and we are talking about OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. Now, we all have an idea of what this is, but let me tell you, I left this conversation learning a whole lot more. I hope you guys enjoy it, I hope you learn a lot, and I hope you can share this with other people so we can all learn and grow together. Enjoy! Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. Yeah, um, I know that you specialize in anxiety disorders, OCD, um, eating disorders, and a, a bunch of other. And I was hoping to chat about OCD today. Um, I was wondering if you could give like a brief definition of OCD. Your professional definition would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a misconception. So I think this is good to kind of chat about. So the kind of the clinical way I describe OCD when I'm meeting with someone for the first time, um, OCD is characterized by unwanted. That's like the very specific thing we want, unwanted, or maybe sometimes intrusive, um, either thoughts, images, or impulses. Um, so that's the obsession that someone tries to get rid of by doing either like a compulsion or a ritual. Um, and so usually um, people are trying to get rid of maybe anxiety, um, sometimes feelings of disgust or just downright feeling uncomfortable by something. Um, but that's kind of just summary, unwanted thoughts, images, or impulses someone tries to get rid of by doing a compulsion or a ritual. Got it. And what age do you think OCD starts showing? A good question. Uh, so I think we can see OCD pretty young, uh, maybe kind of the starting of it with some like rigidity uh, around maybe like three to five years old. Um, but it's probably not until um, like later childhood, early adolescence, where it becomes more of the intrusive thought um, piece, which, which is kind of when they're developing more of like the critical thinking. Uh, but definitely around some young kids, we see a lot of rigidity or, or what we call like just right feelings. Can you explain what type of rigid rigidity you might be seeing in these young kids? Because I taught three and four year olds and, you know, there were some things that we would see as educators and we weren't sure if it was OCD or something else developmentally. Yeah. Uh, so the just right feelings or the rigidity we might see in some kids is like um, being very specific, maybe in something that they use or a clothing of item that they might uh, might wear. Uh, maybe they'll be kind of rigid in the way that they do something or that someone does something for them. Um, so like if their parents are maybe setting up their meal, um, you know, the food has to be in a certain way. They have to have a certain plate, maybe a certain fork or cup, um, which also kind of leads into like, is this OCD? Is maybe an autism spectrum type thing? Um, so it is pretty difficult in younger kids to really like define that it's OCD. Uh, but kind of sometimes if we look back with some kids, uh, when I get them, when they're kind of older and we start working on things, if we kind of look back at their history, there is like this rigidity and like high anxiety um, and maybe even some like reassurance seeking when they were younger. Yeah, that, it's so interesting that when you look at them, the young kids developmentally, it is hard to tell what's autism related and what's OCD. And mm -hmm. is there kind of a correlation between the two? would you say? Um, I mean, it's not uncommon 
to be working with a kid who has OCD and also is on the spectrum. Um, so maybe not necessarily like a correlation, but there's some comorbidity at times, um, but there's definitely an overlap in the way that symptoms appear. My parents get very anxious when they see their kids lining up toys and, mm-hmm. and they're not sure, is this autism or is this OCD? And obviously there are other factors and some kids get misdiagnosed as autistic or vice versa. So do you do the evaluations of kids to see what your thoughts are on what they're doing developmentally? Yeah. So if we get some younger kids, um, we do, I also do some like kind of either early childhood or neuropsychological evaluations. Um, if that's maybe some mode of concern or parents are looking for more like information on some younger kids. Um, yeah. So if there's some kind of rigidity, but we'll also look, you know, are there maybe some social difficulties? Um, do they have trouble relating like either, um, like emotional awareness and those kinds of things? Um, are they very like hyper fixated on something, right? Those are some things where maybe we're seeing that, you know, we're not sure where they're at. So let's do like a more in-depth evaluation using like the, um, the ADOS or the autism diagnostic, um, screening to kind of get more details on it. Um, yeah, so for some families, we'll do some more in-depth, um, kind of testing and evaluation to see if we can tease out the difference. Um, but for some kids, I think we do kind of have to, um, just, you know, still provide treatment and do some behavioral approach, um, but maybe hold off on a diagnosis until they're, they're, uh, a little older. And what do you think are some of the most common forms of OCD in children? Uh, so it really kind of depends on like the timeline that we're looking at. Uh, so if we're looking at the, the younger kids, like I said, maybe like three, five, maybe seven, we're seeing more of like the just right feelings. So things need to be like a certain or specific way. Um, there may be some of the reassurance seeking. So asking, um, am I safe? Um, is this okay? Uh, you know, are you going to come back? Like those kinds of questions, like feeling like a need for certainty. That's kind of the big piece in OCD, like that need for certainty, whether it's like the just right feeling or as they kind of move on through the developmental rage, we'll, we'll see some things like maybe somewhat what people think of like their traditional contamination fears of like germs or getting sick. Um, but, you know, there's not really like a super common, I do intensive treatment for OCD. So like every time I see someone, it's always a different thing. Um, so it could be related to um, some thoughts about hurting themselves or others. Um, there's kind of the lesser known like uh, scrupulosity or religious types of obsessions or um, sexual obsessions. Um, it's a wide range. Um, and I think that's part of the, the misconception and where some people take so long to get diagnosed because they don't know that these things are actually OCD. They think there's just something wrong with their thinking. Yeah. And I think also our thought of OCD is tapping the window five times. Mm -hmm. Like that's also a lot of the shows that people watch. That's how it's portrayed as opposed to all the descriptions that you just described. And I'm curious now with COVID, how, Mm. how you feel that might be affecting these young kids and, you know, OCD. Yeah, so I think COVID um, has had an impact, but I don't, it hasn't been in the way I think people would like traditionally expect it to be. Like I've still been seeing people in the intensive treatment format throughout COVID, um, in person, virtually. Um, and so 
you know, there hasn't really been necessarily an uptick in like contamination concerns. I think um, that has maybe come out in the surface, but underneath um, there's been just a lot more of this, um, I think the level of uncertainty that has happened and is still happening um, has really kind of exacerbated a lot of just their general um, obsessions and compulsions. Um, so not necessarily that we're seeing a lot more people worried about contamination. Um, the ones that do kind of, we have to like reorient them to like what's appropriate and what's necessary. Um, but it's just been like the symptoms that they have have been kind of out of whack because it's just like a constant uncertainty of what's going on in the world around them. Not that there's an end in sight right now. So <laughs> and we're still going through it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that, you know, hearing the way you're describing it is also different from the way that I was taught what OCD is. And I think that as educators, maybe we're also not fully taught on what OCD is because we know what autism is. We know about a lot of developmental variations, but that's something that we don't really get taught. And it's hard, mm -hmm. you know, I think as a teacher to just say, oh, that kid might be on the spectrum when there's this whole other side of it now that's you got to tweak the way you're thinking mm -hmm. sometimes. Do you, do you find, I mean, you didn't go to school for education, but do you think that there's a way for teachers to learn more about OCD in a helpful way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's kind of one of our things as well. Um, we do a lot, or I do a lot of like um, teacher kind of trainings. Um, so, you know, we kind of go through a, a spectrum of like common mental health disorders and try to provide some education. Um, and some like, these are the, like, not to make teachers feel like they need a burden of like, all right, now I have to know all these things, but like for teachers to know, like some of the common signs and symptoms of what they might see in the classroom. Um, so we do some of that, but there's also some great resources. Um, the IOCDF or the International OCD Foundation actually has like a website dedicated towards OCD in the classroom, um, which, you know, I don't think is, it's not too involved. It's not like a whole program, but it's enough like tips and resources or informations for educators to learn a little bit more um, about what OCD is and what they might see and kind of how to um, help families navigate that. I don't think it's a burden at all. I think that as an educator, it's important to know, you know, even the basics of all mm -hmm. developmental variations, because now that science is progressing also, we're learning a lot more. And so educators who went to schools years ago, right. you, know, you have to stay up to date on all of this. And mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that, you know, we have state mandated tests, especially in New York, and that's not on it. And I feel like as educators, maybe it shouldn't be mandated to take a test, but to take workshops mm -hmm. on different variations, just to help you do the best that you can for your students. Yeah. And I think that's great. I think that's, that would definitely be needed. And I, you know, also it's not even just educators. I would say like, even within the mental health field itself, um, like in my training, there wasn't like a big class on OCD, right? Like I somehow kind of stumbled into the OCD world and I was like, this is so interesting. Um, there's such a need. Let me kind of specialize in this. Um, but even within my training and even within like colleagues or just other people in the mental health field, like they also don't know what OCD is. Um, so you can't just go to like any therapist or counselor or psychologist to get OCD treatment. Like 
you need to find someone who's like specialized and like knows what they're doing because otherwise they can do a lot of damage. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the other part of it is, you know, you can seek help, but unless you're finding the right professional help for what you're experiencing, it's unfortunately not going to do justice for you because you're not, you know, working on the root of the problem. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that you stumbled upon this because, you know, I was looking at the Child Mind Institute and seeing who I can get on that would be interesting. And I saw your name and I was like, oh, OCD, you know, you deal with anxiety disorders, eating disorders. And I feel like those are more common, Mm -hmm. especially anxiety and OCD. I was like, oh my God, nobody talks about OCD. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also not really shown on TV. It's not really shown in the real world. It's Mm -hmm. kind of this undertone that no one talks about. And I've been watching the Australian Open. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you watch tennis. Not really. There's this famous tennis player, Nadal, and they talk about how he has OCD. And I've actually never heard him talk about it. But before he plays, he he always puts his hair back like two times. And Mm -hmm. then he has to organize his water. And he, you know, he does these common things every time he plays. And I was, and I watch him. And you see the focus, but he has to do those rituals. Mm-hmm. And so would that be classified as OCD from where you're sitting or you'd have? To- I mean, I'd have to know more. It would kind of depend on like, all right, is this like, because I mean, again, it makes it tricky. People have preferences, right? And I think even in sports, people have like their kind of like superstitions, like wearing the same football jersey, never washing it. So your team wins, right? So I think some people have like maybe superstitions or things that they do. Um, it kind of all comes back to like, you know, if he doesn't do this, what does he think is going to happen? Like, what's the worried outcome, right? That kind of leads more into it. But you kind of bring up a good point that like in the media, we kind of see like where it has to be perfect or things have to be clean or, you know, people unfortunately do make light of OCD a lot. Like, you know, you'll always hear someone saying, oh, I'm so OCD or, oh, that bothers my OCD. Like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> like people with OCD often don't care about things being clean their room could be a complete disaster because they're worried like if they didn't do their compulsion right that someone's gonna die or like their house is gonna burn down like it's a lot more serious than oh that bugs me I'm thinking about when I was younger and people would always say if you step on a crack you'll break your mother's (laughs) back and Mm -hmm. now that I'm sitting here talking to him I'm wondering okay who's the first person that thought of this and was that person not doing it because they felt that if they did step on a crack, that in turn would in fact break their mother's back. And like, mm-hmm. would that, that would be more of an OCD thing than like a superstition thing. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if like I was working with someone and they said like, you know, I can't step on cracks or I'm worried my mom's going to die or, or something's going to happen to her. Yeah. That's OCD. Right. If I'm just doing this, you know, because it's a preference or it's fun, like that's different than like, you know, just something that I feel might bring me good luck or something, you know, that I feel might increase my chances of doing something. OCD is more of like, if I don't do this, there's a feared outcome. And even if it sounds completely illogical, like even if in, in my, my right mind, I like, I know this isn't true, but OCD thoughts are worrying me so much, like just in case I'm going to do this to keep myself or my family or, or whatever else safe. It's amazing how the brain works. And I think that's the problem is, a lot of us are saying, oh, if I don't, if I step on the crack, I'm going to break my mother's back and turning it into more of a, a 
joke mm -hmm. than the reality of the person experiencing that and saying, oh my gosh, I have to look where I'm walking because if I step on a crack, I'm actually in fear that I have to call my mom and make sure that mm -hmm. she's okay. And, you know, I, I don't know, but I can only, you know, imagine that there's also like a time, right? So, oh my gosh, I stepped on a crack. When is she going to break my, exactly. when is my mom going to break her back? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't need to be instant. So that person might be living with this fear for, I don't know how long. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the case. Like some people, their thoughts are like instantaneous. Other people, it's like this existential thing, like to my future family, to like my future child, that I'll never get a good job. I'll never be in a relationship. Um, and so that like makes treatment sometimes more challenging because we're, ha we're having to say like, yeah, you're not going to do this compulsion. And, and part of the treatment for OCD is living with that uncertainty, right? And so say like, yes, maybe this will happen if you don't do your compulsion. And kind of having to like feel that and sit with those kind of yucky feelings um, while we kind of process it. And so you work with not little, little kids, but young adults, I believe. Is that? So it ranges. Um, okay. So I'll see kids. Um, I think typically for an intensive treatment, um, I'll see like maybe nine years old, kind of the youngest. Um, but in treatment, we'll do some like more behavioral work uh, with some of those younger kids as well. But for, like, for more of like the critical thinking, more intrusive obsession type piece of stuff. Um, it's usually with a little older where they can kind of engage with that cognitive work. It's mind blowing how many different things our brain can think about and process and the amount of fears. And mm -hmm. like I have anxiety and I've, you know, lived with it and kind of put on the back burner, which somehow worked for me until now when now I'm talking to a therapist and trying to work through anxiety. But these young kids, you know, if parents aren't aware of what OCD is and how it looks in children and teachers aren't aware, these mm -hmm. poor kids are now dealing with it. And I can't even imagine being a young child and, and, you know, you have a friend who's joking about stepping on a crack and then you're the person being like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's, it's crazy that again, we've had this interpretation of OCD and it's been kind of wrong. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of how these poor kids are coping with this without knowing. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not, they're thinking that there's, there's something wrong with their brain. I'll, I mean, I'll say like for the majority of kids and there's even like studies and the I, IOCDF has a lot of information on this. I think it's maybe like eight years or so where a kid like will go without a diagnosis, without the proper treatment of like the onset of symptoms. So eight years, like at a minimum, there's some people even longer who are just thinking, wow, my brain's messed up. Um, or they're thinking, well, yeah, everyone has these thoughts or everyone does these things. And it's like, no, everyone doesn't. Um, and it's so hard for them having to go through that, but it's great when we finally meet them or they finally meet someone who is a specialist. And it's like, no, this is real. You've been struggling with this. Like there's a community you can get plugged into that there's others like you, uh, which is really important. Um, and like a, something we try to do when we get into treatment because most people don't go diagnosed. So even though there might be someone in their neighborhood, in their school, also with OCD, they don't know about it. And so it's, it's a very lonely um, disorder as well. Yeah. And, and your part of work then, do you also communicate 
obviously you communicate with the parents. Do you communicate with the schools that the child attends to, to kind of bring it all together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do a lot of consultation with schools. Um, that's really important because again, um, no, most educators, not of their own fault, but just don't have like all the information about OCD. Um, so a lot of times schools are inadvertently accommodating in a negative way or giving in or feeding into compulsions. Um, so we do work with schools to provide some education and kind of help outline, right, this is the way you can actually be helpful in this situation. And these are the ways that kind of continue to feed into OCD, which we're trying to avoid. And then for some children, is this the kind of um, developmental variation where they could get an IEP or a parent to help them during the day? Yeah, so, yeah. So there's some kids who do have an IEP um, and it provides like maybe some of those accommodations, like maybe they need more breaks or preferential seating or testing somewhere else or those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, an OCD diagnosis can definitely get an IEP services. Um, I haven't seen too much where they necessarily need a para, um, but um, maybe if some kid, you know, typically if they were to the level where they would need a para, they probably wouldn't be in school and they'd be in like more intensive treatment for a bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, we do try to provide like services and, and help the school kind of navigate how to kind of properly um, educate a, a child with OCD. I'm wondering, I guess, how also in your sessions you build the confidence in the child, you know, who's feeling all out of sorts and saying, I'm isolated in all these feelings. Mm -hmm. How do you help a child cope with that and build their self-confidence? Um, I mean, that's a really good question. And, and treatment for OCD is hard. Um, like with other anxiety disorders, the treatment for them is sitting with the anxiety, like facing that anxiety head on. Um, and so no one really wants to do that. Um, so some things that we do, you know, first we, we do a lot of like normalizing and validating how they're feeling. Um, and so it is, it tends to be eye-opening and, and helpful for some kids to be like, oh, wait, this isn't the first time you've heard this. Like other people have these types of really weird, freaky, intrusive thoughts. Wow. Like that's, that's mind blowing to them. Um, so I think that helps. And then we talk about like the treatment is evidence-based um, and they'll talk about like different um, kind of situations that maybe kind of relate to theirs where I've worked with a kid who had these types of maybe obsessions and compulsions where they were at one point and where they are now, where they're kind of thriving and kind of living with OCD um, in a positive way. Um, and then I'll share, you know, I, I personally don't have OCD, but I've dealt with anxiety. Um, and so I share my own personal experiences of, of going through anxious situations um, because the treatment is pretty similar. Again, it's kind of facing that fear head on. Um, and so we kind of talk about like, you know, this is what I've done. I've done like exposure and response prevention therapy myself to get over my kind of fears and, and phobias. Um, and that seems to kind of be helpful to them as well. I think that your work is amazing and beyond helpful. And I wish that it was more known. Thank you so much. This was extremely informative and I would love for, you know, more teachers and educators to learn more about OCD. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me. I, I'm always happy to talk about OCD and tell anyone I can about what it actually is. 